0: Rationally Writing. I'm Dave Stryld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 46, Writing Research.
1: Yeah, so I assume you do some research.
0: I do too much research. I, I've i said before that I need to just, like, cultivate a small group of experts. I know that some professional writers do this in some respect, where they just have, like, they've built up a, a group of friends slash readers slash, like, acquaintances that they'll reach out to when they're talking about certain subjects to help them. But I've done probably something like at least six hours of research on just this month's chapter alone it's really really inefficient
1: yeah i actually i went to gen con a couple years back and larry korea was speaking he does like a sci-fi fantasy author and he he was talking about how he has sort of a stable of experts that he goes to like he has a guy who he goes to 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 like talk about gun stuff Mm -hmm. because there's just like there's so much to know and you can get you can very easily get to the point where you're not making any obvious mistakes. Well, it's more a time thing, I guess, to get to that point, but if you can just go to someone who knows what they're talking about and say, hey, read this and then point out everything that's, that's wrong. Um, I actually had a reader do that for me for like gun stuff, cause there are like a couple scenes where people are using guns and worth a candle mm-hmm. and I have some baseline knowledge of firearms and like firearm safety and how to shoot and stuff but they just like went through and were like hey change these like five things and it'll be fine right without me asking which was nice
0: yeah which is always super helpful it's also great when someone can just like for me it's it's often been a lot of research stuff my educational background is in um, psychology and therapy and, and stuff like that and any other scientific knowledge i have has been picked up just like along the way out of just interest But you very quickly will reach a point where you realize that you just have no idea what's... Like, if someone asked me what electricity is, I can can explain it, like, more or less. But if someone asked me, like, how does electricity work? Before I uh, wrote, like, a bunch of chapters in Pokemon about electric types and stuff. I would be able to give very insufficient explanations towards application. Which is the main issue. Yeah. Like, knowing, knowing the topic versus knowing the topic well enough to apply it to situations. In a way that actually is, like... True and makes sense is really difficult.
1: Yeah, especially explaining mm-hmm. like explaining it to other people yeah. who have no familiarity. That that takes an extra level of knowledge, I guess. I, I have a, a two-year-old son mm-hmm. and I'm with him all day. And I so often will just bumble my way through explanations about the world and how things work. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, man, this would be so much easier if I had like twenty minutes to spend on the internet so you look things up first
0: (laughs) yeah the struggle as a writer i think is not just being able to research things efficiently and getting like good good sources for information convenient sources for information being important too yeah but also getting to a level of knowledge that you can feel confident relaying that information to your readers in a hopefully entertaining way yeah but if you but if you you don't relay it to your readers uh (laughs) just being able to apply it even if you don't get to the point of writing it out so that the reader understands it, you still at some point will like have it affect the world and you can still get in trouble then if like, it doesn't make any sense and like someone's just reading and just like, that's, that's not how that works.
1: Yeah. So as far as, as far as research goes, I would contend that the biggest difference between like ways that we research is sort of when in the writing process you do it. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's my, my typology. We have inspirational research, which you do sort of independent of any project. You're just – I would hesitate to actually call it research, but it's sort of learning more for the sake of writing or other reasons. I I like learning new things sort of absent the writing aspect of Mm -hmm. it. But I do often, when I'm reading books or um, reading articles, I, I do think about how it can apply to things that I might write about. Or if I'm reading something I find interesting, I try to think about what I find compelling about that and whether I'd want to write about that or not. So we'll call that, we'll call that inspiration research, mm-hmm. right? Then there is sort of plotting research or setting research where you are about to write something and you know that there are going to be key pieces of it that you need to do research on. You do all that before your story is fully plotted and that sort of helps inform the plot and characters and situations and and plot beats and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's spot researching, which is the stuff that you do when you, you type a sentence and then you realize you need to do some research to make sure that sentence was either correct or that you didn't like bungle something. Mm -hmm. That's, I I find that that kind uh most destructive to the writing process because you're kind of like in that flow state when you're writing and you're plowing through and then it's like, Oh, okay, well (laughs) I got to go stop for a minute and do some, research or some math or whatever
0: yeah this is where the efficiency part comes in for me because it's very much a case where i'll be writing a scene with some different you know things going on in it and then like my mind will come up with like oh this 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 is a cool thing that would happen next this this is what would happen next here but then the voice is always in my head of like is that what would actually happen like is that how that would work is this something that would actually be like exploitable or whatever it is and then Like, it's the kind of research that you kind of have to do in this, on the moment because you've just thought of the thing and you need to sort of know if it's, like, do, if it's something you can include. The alternative is that you don't do the research then. You just write it out and then just move on and finish the chapter whatever it is and then you go back and like, okay, this doesn't make sense. The problem is, for me anyway, a couple of times when I've tried that, it turned out that the thing that I was, the thing, like, glossing over it and then just going back and researching it later can sometimes just make it, like the whole thing gets altered. Yeah. And that can have like effects going forward. Uh but it is generally I think better if you can to skip while you're in flow state to maintain flow state. Yeah. And then just back it like X happens here and then uh like with enough description that you'll remember what it is that you need to you need to look up.
1: Right. I tend to put little to do notes at the bottom of whatever I'm writing, and then I have something to like these are the things that you meant to change mm-hmm. later. Especially if there are, you know, there's like a a bit of foreshadowing that I wanted just a touch earlier for a thing that was going to happen, you know, 5,000 words later or whatever for the the chapter. Um, I do that fair amount for research. I also, Worth the Candle is at the point where it is, it's past 700,000 words, Mm -hmm. which is, it's a lot of words. It's a lot for there to be, to go through because I have to – sometimes the research that I'm doing is within the own – or within the work that I'm working on, right. right? It's it's trying to find world-building information or names are terrible. Um, yeah. Because it's like, oh, this person was named once, yeah. like possibly upwards of 70 chapters ago. And I want to refer to him by name. We also are – I would also like to talk a little bit about skimping on research and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's easy to be like, well, you know, am am I going to spend like 10 minutes of my time trying to figure out what this guy's name was, or am I just going to write around it so I don't have to look it up? That's a minor example. I think a lot of writers do that just because they don't want to go through the effort, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I'm kind of on the fence about how bad that is as a practice, because I mean, sometimes how much a research adds to a story really depends on what specific parts you're, of it you're you're talking about. I think it's very important for things that the plot hinges on. It's not as important for characterization, although that kind of depends on how big a piece of characterization it is. You know, there, there are minor continuity errors that most people won't notice. I'll give an example of a thing that I do a lot for *Worth the Candle*. Officially. Juniper goes through Juniper's last day on, on earth is March 23rd, (laughs) 2017. Right. And so no references can be past that date. And I don't think that most people will recognize, recognize that as true or will like double check the, you know, that, that the timeline actually matches up. Yeah. Um, But I check it every time I make a reference. I think that's one of those, places where it's nice to have that consistency yeah but it's not really necessary especially because most of the time changing a single line is not that big a problem if someone points it out
0: I will say the idea of having to research within your own work the authors that I that I follow who talk about their craft uh, and, and have long series will often state that they are eternally grateful to their reader base for being able to, Help them with this. I think I, generally speaking, would say that that is a good resource to make use of. If there's not already like a wiki of your work, obviously it's like a little bit harder. Yeah. But like the reader base can be extremely useful in like pointing out these kinds of things, and then like getting getting help from them to like keep your own work consistent. Uh, feels weird at first, but like is really really helpful.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, if you have, if you have that base to go on, if you have those knowledgeable people, that's definitely a resource to be leveraged for your own work. But even, I mean, that, that's one of the, one of the good things about having achieved some level of popularity or notoriety is that Mm -hmm. you just have more resources to draw on because readers are, you know, eager to help if you need to work out, uh, some aspect of world building or, uh, if you need to double check that something is consistent or, or makes sense i mean the um typo corrections that i get every time i post chapters are, it's hugely helpful and then that's labor that i don't have to pay as much attention to like right. i still do my i still do my editing passes but well, i don't need to worry as much that people are just going to be turned off and then leave because most of the egregious ones are going to be caught within you know an hour or two
0: yeah one thing i do kind of wish i'd done when i started now like thinking back like i've got obviously like a notes document or two or three i'm sure you have many more than that those there's the notes that you take for yourself right to keep things consistent and quick reference things um but you always kind of like i don't know i i can never you never always know exactly what you're going to need when you're going to need it and like you said like if you if you've already got a following enough that like someone is uh can like you know it can be used as a resource that's great uh but i think one thing i wish i'd done was made my notes insofar as they were not like spoilery at all just public like just made a tv troops page or something of or, or like a fan wiki thing or something of, of the thing and then just put it all up there so that it would be easier just to link to it if people had like questions about details or something but also to encourage people to like add things or whatever themselves and then i can just like make use of that resource so like if if someone's starting a long story and you know regardless of whether their story ever gets off its feet in terms of like having a large following or not insofar as you don't lose anything by putting it public or starting a like a public repository of knowledge for your story it might be a Good thing to do. I don't know. It feels like it, it's something that like I wish I had done. So figured I might as well mention it.
1: Yeah. So let's go through types for a minute. Mm-hmm. Inspirational research is. I don't know. I write a, I, I write most of my ideas down in a, a scratch pad that's gotten a little too long. It's. I think it's three parts now. I don't know how you'd classify that. Like some sometimes things that you read end up in your stories, right?
0: Yeah. I I, I feel like this is the one that's like the most passive because. I've very rarely been like, I need to read something to specifically try to like get more ideas for stories. But very often what I read or experience through other media or even just experience in real life will obviously like kickstart ideas for stories.
1: Yeah, I think it's mostly just being mindful mm-hmm. of those thoughts that you have, I guess, as they come. Because it's it's very easy to for me to get a story idea Or character idea or something like that while I'm, you know, on Wikipedia or TV tropes or something Mm -hmm. and then just totally forget about it. And it just leaves my head entirely except for that lingering feeling that I had an idea that I liked and have forgotten about it. Um, so I've started, you know, just try, I have a notes app on my phone that I just, sometimes my notes are just terrible. I have, um, there's one in here that is just it says unicorn mouse and that was the note that I left myself and I have no idea what that means mm-hmm. I don't know what why I thought that was a good idea or like what was compelling about it but I, I do try to keep notes app sort of readily available if I have something and then just jot things down sometimes I take voice memos um, and then I have usually an open tab that has an ideas scratch pad that I can add to. And then I also put uh, links to articles or occasionally pictures that I like. If there's like particular aesthetic that I want to evoke, usually it'll be a picture with some kind of metadata about it. So I can be like, I like the look of that and I want to find out more about it and sort of incorporate it, I guess, because then you can get some of the underpinnings of, of what made that compelling. In the first place so yeah i have a a pictures doc that basically just has links to a bunch of pictures and like what i found interesting or or compelling about them and then an ideas scratch pad that i will occasionally put links in i tend to go more in the direction of the sciences on that Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like such and such was discovered the other day or or whatever Um, just because those are easier to those are easier to develop unique stories around or get unique concepts from there is a type of i think it's a fish where the male is much smaller than the female and when they do mating he'll just sort of bite into her side and then merge with her and that's just been sitting in my in my document as something that i want to do something with someday yeah and then there's like, a link to the whatever the scientific name of it is so that I can look at it and, like, get more information about process and things like that that might kick something off down the road.
0: Right. The inspiration research that comes in through kind of also some deliberate reading for me is when I'm writing something with, like, a thief for a main character. I'll start reading just, like, a bunch of stories, like Six of Crows or... Um, what was it called? Gentleman Bastards? Or, like, just, like, stories with thievery or some kind of, like, criminal main characters that will give me ideas for, like, what, what, like, a criminal underground would look like, what a thief character would act like, all this different kind of stuff. And it's really interesting not just getting, obviously, just, like, getting ideas from other writers who are working on these kinds of similar themes and characters and stuff. But, like, you'll often see things that, like, you're, like, Ooh, that's an interesting. You, you will get inspiration from reading other people's stuff on those kinds of things. But more than that, a lot of the things that when I see people like do things like that in their stories, when they when they int- like introduce like a concept to, for like what a like a thieves guild's like secret password system is, or like cryptography or whatever it is, like their way of like keeping things secret, I'll look into like what inspired that, and then like it'll lead like the research that they put into their story will often lead me to interesting things to research for my own yeah or like i won't even have thought of like oh right i should definitely look into old, like medieval times systems of writing hidden messages you know so that just like i can get ideas into what what my my world might have
1: yeah or sometimes you will do the research on someone else's research and find that they didn't do research <laughs> right? and that can be good too mm-hmm. because then you you can just tell yourself okay i'm going to do this like a more accurate or correct way i've Mm. done that from time to time especially when you come across a really cool idea that doesn't work i guess on on further uh on further research (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I, i do that too um yeah i think i think just keeping keeping track of parts and pieces i also do tend to seek out books that are more not pop science necessarily but that are going to give me insights into a thing I don't know anything about mm-hmm. and I do that for pleasure but I also do that for for writing in the hopes that I can find something worth sharing through writing I've got a book sitting behind me somewhere that's about elevators and like the history of elevators which I I, I love elevators mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew that about me
0: no I knew but... you love trains I knew I knew you loved trains I, didn't know you loved elevators I do love too. trains mm-hmm.
1: I love elevators too so I, I include elevators a lot because I think it's a really Sort of neat and invisible technology, but I can sort of—it's—it's it's easier to read for me if I'm thinking about writing too. If I'm just sort of trying to put uh, research concepts into into writing headspace, I guess. Yeah. So that's like sort of when you're not working on a thing, right? That's the kind of research that you do just to be a more well-rounded person. Which generally, I think, makes you a better writer. That might be contentious. I don't think it is. I think that's common advice to to like read a lot, and yes. expose yourself to a lot, and then you'll have a better ability to model the world for your readers, right? Mm-hmm. There was a I was reading something the other day, and this guy's like, "Oh, I just like don't read it all," and I'm just gonna start writing. It's like, well, how how are you gonna like what are you gonna write about if you don't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you must know something, but even if we take you at face value, that like you just have your life experiences, it, it makes it very difficult to write if you don't know many things. If you, if you, obviously, for science fiction and to a lesser extent fantasy, it's important because you are, in a lot of ways, you're reflecting your view of the world more, or you're you're reflecting your understanding of the world more, right? Like if if ten percent of people get superpowers overnight, right? Mm-hmm. You're there's a huge dependency on your understanding of how the world works as to what the consequences of that will be right. That isn't necessarily in place for like a romance.
0: Yeah. You're, you're rebuilding the world off of kind of first principles Yeah. that you, that you believe are true with some guidance from what the world actually looks like. And like, hopefully, you know, modeling off of as best you can, like parallels to reality of like what, you know, what things look like when um, similar situations occur. But At some point, yeah, you are definitely rebuilding human behavior from the ground up based off of this like unrealistic conceit.
1: Yeah. You're exposing a lot of how you think about the world, right? You're, I I think any author writing anything will at least be partly exposing their understanding of the world to the reader, but it's more pronounced in my opinion in science fiction and fantasy just because that you, you aren't just reporting the world as it is. Close to how it is, you're 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 rebuilding the world. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, it it is important to do that sort of background base research. But when you start a story and you start having some things that are being decided on, like setting and character and things like that, that's when you need to start doing the more intensive background informing research. So, like, for example, if your story is going to be set in Boston,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay, so you have th- three different ways of doing this, right? You can first do the research and learn some amount of information about Boston, what it's like to live there, what the temperature is like, local traditions, businesses, city layout, things like that, that you might need for the story. You can write around them, and Boston is just a generic city that you never say anything special about. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of is dependent on your understanding of cities in general, but you're not saying anything about Boston. Boston is just, you know, a city you picked off a map, basically.
0: Right. Or you can kind of just steep the story in, in the setting and just make yeah. it so that all the landmarks are well-researched, like not necessarily like street by street if, you know, it's not relevant to the story, but yeah. the setting will will have scenes that take place in places that someone from Boston would recognize.
1: Yeah. I see people do a lot. The uh, They'll do kind of a Disney version of whatever their setting is. Mm-hmm. It's tourist, not... The tourist version? Yeah. They didn't like really do the research. They just, including the stuff that they picked up from pop culture right. or, or I don't know. They're just sort of winging it and hoping that no one cares. Yeah. Which is a, a fine thing to do, sort of depending on who you think your audience is going to be, right? Like if you're writing for primarily a Russian audience, it becomes a lot less important to do any research about boston yeah thanks right? your average reader it's like how, how many readers are you really doing your research for right
0: it's also worth noting like how much of the story's setting takes place that's relevant to the setting the, the setting itself right so like if you're writing about something that's going on in boston but like your character is a teenager and they're spending like three-fourths of the book in, I don't know, like, like magic Boston, right? Like the magic underground of Boston or something, right? It's not nearly as important as if it's something that's set in, in more of the mundane version of Boston that everyone's expecting some, some kind of accuracy in and the culture and the history and all that kind of stuff might actually matter to the story in some regard. But even, even still, like, usually you don't need that kind of detail if you're setting something in Miami, it's enough to be just like uh, beaches and nightlife and like palm trees. And everyone's just like, yeah, yeah, that's Miami. It sort of depends
1: because I think those those small details that you can uncover through research help sell the story. Mm-hmm. So so if you're doing the sort of generic version of a setting, this isn't like setting specific research thing. It's it just for like professions and characters and maybe some medical stuff or whatever. It's not just settings, but if you're doing sort of the Disney version or the Hollywood version of Miami, it sells the setting less well to people. I mean, they'll understand that your setting is Miami and mm. they'll be like, OK, whatever. It's Miami. It doesn't it doesn't matter. But you don't get the, the little details are what bring that sort of sense of place. So, OK, I've never been to Miami, right? <laughs> like weather is probably one of the big things mm-hmm. that you would mention.
0: Important for reasons besides the obvious. Like, you don't want necessarily your character to be like, oh, man, it's so humid today. But if your characters are, like, walking around in trench coats in Miami. Right. I guess not. Like, you can do it. I did it when I was a teenager. But, like, it's not something that's going to go unremarked by other people.
1: Yeah. I don't go on vacation often. But when I do, I always try to look around for those things that are the most different. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I took a trip out to San Francisco. And I was, I was trying to be very aware of the things that you don't see when you're in Minnesota, right? And part, partly that's it cause it's a very big city, but the, the things about like the culture, um, none of the city is designed around snow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas our cities are basically like, we have to go through several feet of snow every winter and like snow getting on things and that creates a lot of problems with like collapsing roofs yeah. and and things like that. So I I was when I go on vacation or when I am doing research on a thing I try to find all the things that are most identifying for someone who's not there, I guess, mm-hmm. as a way to sort of sell them on the reality of that place. Yeah. Which I think is is the problem that you have if you do like the more like if you're just doing the quick sketch version, mm-hmm. I guess, where you just you need someone to It sort of depends on how, on the needs of the story, I guess. But I do want to say for, like, professions are a really important one, both for selling the reality of them, and because that's the kind of thing that will get people disgruntled.
0: Yes, it'll get them disgruntled. And also, it's important because it's probably what I'm going to say is just the most inconvenient, the most inconvenient research I've ever done has always been about professions. Profession, like, the realities of how professions are compared to people's, like, perceptions of how professions are is so drastically wide if they're not in that profession and, like, how, like, Hollywood and just general media presents them that it is, like, if you want your story to be somewhat realistic, if you want your story to be somewhat rational, like, it's probably, I'm gonna say, the single biggest obstacle to getting the setting right is going to be in how the professions act and and behave because... If you have a detective as a main character and they're just like going around, you know, like solving crime, there's just so much that you want your character to do that they just can't do. Yeah. Like if you want them to be a protagonist. You want them to be a hero. The world is not set up to allow a single detective to be a protagonist. <laughs> like they're relying on, first of all, they have a partner for pretty much every, every important thing that they do out in the field, they're going to have to partner with them. So it's not really a one character show anymore. Yeah. second you've got, like, all the inter-office politics, like, your detective might just be... Like, you're, like it's not just, like, oh, your detective versus their, their chief yelling at them about going Maverick or going Rogue or something like that. Like, it's... There's other people who they have to work with to get information from. And, like, if you just assume that, like, oh, you know, they've got, like, connections and friends, and they'll just, like, you know, bend the rules for them here and there and that kind of thing. Like, that's that's fine once in a while. But occasionally you're just getting to the point where it's, like, your your character is now asking other people to break the law and, like, risk their their jobs for them. And you better have a good reason for why they're willing to do that. Otherwise, it's, like, it's pop story. It's not realistic.
1: Yeah. It is shocking to me how many, like, police procedurals Mm -hmm. and medical dramas just do not get the police work or the medicine right. Mm -hmm. I know that's because that's not what those shows are, are really about, I guess, but it's like surely you have someone on staff who can do the research. Surely you can like pay money for a consultant. A lot of it is that they don't care. And I think a lot of it is that there are the acceptable breaks from reality. One of the things for for courtrooms is there is the in the American judicial system. There's the well of the court, which is the space between where the uh, prosecution and the defense have their desks and where the judge and a witness sits. Right. That's the well of the court. And you're not supposed to go in there. And in legal shows, people go in there all the time because it's more dramatic that way. It's hard to block out a shot Mm -hmm. for two people if you are having them stand so far away. You can't get the like dynamics of the scene right without people going to the well of the court. So they go in the well of the court and that's sort of a it happens in almost all legal shows just because it looks better that way mm-hmm. for police procedurals. One of the things I see a lot is that people will not take pictures of new evidence that they find. They'll just, they'll, just they'll, see like they'll see like a shell casing. The, I was watching a show with my wife and they found a shell casing under a cabinet and they just picked it up and <laughs> it's like, well, you know, uh-huh. you need to take a picture of it first so that you forensics can know where that shell casing landed right if you're just picking it up and now we have no record of where that shell casing was found except for your word on it which weakens the credibility of your case right this is not there's a reason that police people will take pictures first Mm -hmm. and put like a little evidence marker and number things and and have a a chain of evidence and custody for for all this stuff but it's so much less dramatic that way right Mm -hmm. especially on on tv where you would where you would show it, where you just you, you want to like move the camera down to show them just finding the shell casing and picking it up and saying "aha," mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, every episode would be like two hours long to get through the same amount of like probably more than that actually to get through like the same amount of dramatic moments.
1: Right, right. It's I and I I kind of accept I accept that from from Hollywood yes. for the most part.
0: That said, when you get a show that gets things right and still manages to be entertaining like the wire oh by the way anyone who has not seen the wire go watch the wire i don't care if you never plan on writing anything to do with modern times or police procedurals or anything like that it's just quite frankly it's just one of the best pieces of media just like in existence and like i stand behind that and i will fight anyone like you know, argue wise. I'm happy to argue with anyone who, who doesn't like it and, like, figure out why and see their perspective and everything, but it's just, it's really good and you should watch it, all of it. Anyway, um, yeah. like, The Wire manages to police right, plus court systems right, plus school systems right, plus, I guess, oh, second season did, like, um, dock workers and unions, and I think fourth season mm. did, like, newspapers, like, the newspaper industry, and, journalism in general and like it's it was it was a fantastic example of what you can do character wise and drama wise while still getting things like mostly accurate right? like 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 99% of the way towards accurate compared to like general like 20% or whatever most things do yeah <laughs> and it's got a form of there's like something about the way that it, it manages to use the truth dramatically that i think is really important to learn from because there's it's a character like in many respects it's a character study like it's it's focusing on the characters struggles with these systems and so the drama a lot of the times comes with comes from these like human systems that we construct and have to deal with and that so often impede people from who, who are trying to accomplish things and do what they would consider the right things and i think that's you get, you can get a lot of good inspiration from that for your stories, even if you're not setting it in um, like a modern time kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, sort of the point of of doing a lot of the research and trying to be true to reality instead of sort of the needs of drama
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that it can be more satisfying, and there's a satisfaction in the like truth and the reality, right? Because that the things that when you do the research, you can find the things that make the story feel more real to the reader, which is kind of arguably more important now than it used to be, right? Cause it's, it's sort of the time that we live in where people have a craving for reality and authenticity. And if you can deliver some of that by doing a little research, that's, um, that tends to be worth your while, I think. Yeah. So yeah, as far as this sort of. Three writing research that you do. I usually do settings. I usually do the major power structures and sort of systems that a character will be interacting with. Professions. Although it's, I write a lot of fantasy and you have a little more leeway there because you can just make up your own. Yep. Like procedural court system or whatever. Technologies. I do the research on. It's, a hobby of mine, anyway.
0: I will say, if you're just making up your own legal system and procedurals and stuff for like criminal justice or investigation and stuff, in my experience, anyway, you you will very often write something irrational.
1: Yeah. Well, it it <laughs> it, it sometimes takes more work to do it that way, mm-hmm. but it's a very different kind of work. Yeah. Right. It's you just want to like if you're making your own justice system you need to think about all the ramifications of the exactly sort of games that they're playing within but that's not really research that's world building so
0: yeah that's that's why i would i would advise people to research that sort of thing even if they're just making it whole cloth because that's the kind of research that will inform how you like it will inform how you make it like you will think you will have to think of things that you did not originally think you would have to think of uh, yeah. Which I think is good if you're writing rational fiction in, in in any case, but to me, I think it also just speaks to the the question of like how much you want your story to not shine a light on real things or real like experiences. I don't know. there's there's definitely a element of storytelling and reading that's all about escapism. but yeah, the the amount that you can to to the extent that you can also, um, shine a light on dark machinery of, of society or like the inner thoughts of people and like how they interact with each other. That's something cl- clearly I think that's something that um, most rational writers and readers would probably value in general.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, I, I think part of, if you do your sort of inspiration general reading, it's it's a lot easier to shine a light on things without specifically talking about them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, that's sort of my preference for fiction I guess is that the story is about you know fairies and Mm -hmm. or or whatever but you're really talking about the U.S. criminal justice system right right and you're it's kind of extended allegory or could at least be taken that way but I I don't know it's it I think it does take more like research is a very important component of world building but it tends to be more scattershot as to like what your If you give someone a fake profession, like a profession that does not exist in the real world, like they're a mage, Mm -hmm. right? The research that you you can't just like do research like, oh, what does a mage do like day to day? You have to think of all that stuff yourself. And that has to be informed by mountains of previous research about just how people do jobs, like what jobs tend to be like the different sort of typologies of jobs and like how people tend to spend their time within different like service sector or like what is the equivalent to a mage and then you need to w- sort of work backwards from that and it's a very different st- research mode than just trying to find out like what a cop does in their mm-hmm. day-to-day and it's a more difficult in some respects and easier in others sort of depending on how much background knowledge you have right so our last one is, is spot research it's sort of the research that you do in the moment.
0: The on the fly research of how much looking up something immediate for this one scene or like this one character interaction or something like that. Because I think it's like you will very often, I don't know, I was just gonna say like maybe we should differentiate just because like in my head, like you will often think to spot research things that are essentially just doing setting research, right? Like you, like a, a thought will occur about something, about the setting that you have to kind of look into.
1: Yeah, some of it is setting research. Uh, definitely for Metropolitan Man, I, for, No, okay. I know why I said it in the 1930s, but it made it so much more difficult mm-hmm. as far as, like, I would have to stop what I was doing and do the research to make sure that I wasn't introducing an anachronism or... It's like I, like I had this idea for people using player piano sheet music and the holes in it as a one-time pad for cryptography. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, now I gotta go look up the history of the player piano, <laughs> right? I gotta make sure that the dates are gonna be right and like the models are, like I'm gonna have to actually look at what sheet music looks like for a player piano for this to be accurate. That's, mm, that's spot research. I mean you could do that before you even started the story. It's sort of it this this kind of depends to what extent you are a what do we t- tend to call it? It's either architect and gardener mm-hmm. or plotter and pancer. It's sort of like how planned out you plan your stories. We both write serial fiction, I think that tends to be more on the gardener side. Like even if you have the overarching things, it's very it's very difficult to completely plot things out and then just write it like one chapter a week or I don't know what crazy schedule I'm doing right now mm-hmm. it's very difficult to plot that far in advance for me I think probably for most people I think there's a reason that most books aren't much longer than 400,000 words but yeah I, I'm, I think this this is the type of research where you sort of stop you in in the middle of the process of writing the process of writing has already begun and You just need you need to know what someone would be wearing. That's a big one I look up a lot. There are a lot of websites devoted to historical fashion, especially historical fashion in in America, going back basically to the seventeen hundreds, that's very easy to get to. I look up stuff about fighting quite a bit. I'm like someone got into a stance and I was like, Well, what stance?
0: Right? Yeah.
1: Um and then I I think that's the this is the place where I tend to rabbit hole. Most, where I just like stop what I'm doing and I read about some subject matter for you know 10, 15 minutes or two hours or whatever,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, just so I can learn about how people do fencing, right? Mm-hmm. Or I do it to look up words sometimes, or to to find a word w- within a concept, and that can kind of lead you down some debatably valuable research music i don't know a ton about but it's one of those things where especially if you're heavy on the world building you can't just ignore music i mm-hmm. guess um, and then any real world stuff i i think that tends to trip people's um alarms they're like something is wrong alarm a lot more than than i don't want to say inaccuracies but like careless world building mm-hmm. As far as especially uh, things like foods or like clothing, I have generally found that people won't care about that. People will care if your real world stuff doesn't match up with what they know to be true. Yeah. So yeah, we've already talked with some strategies for dealing with it. Just put a placeholder in to continue with flow is a good one. I sometimes do that for descriptions. I just put like description goes here. Mm -hmm. And then I can spend more time thinking about what they're the specifics of what they are wearing for this sort of one-time event. I often do that for, this is sort of adjacent to research, but I do that for languages if I need names. And for foreign words, I use vulgar, which is a language generator.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I, I, I do this if I ever need it for for like French or, or Greek or whatever. You just go to Google Translate, and I will usually put in whatever Google Translate says, and then I will go back later and try to make sure that it's correct but that's all that's like languages are super research intensive sort of time intensive thing if you don't speak the other language um and you just need like a sentence or a phrase usually i It's one of the things i try to write around because it's it's so it, it'll absolutely trip up someone who is if it's incorrect it'll absolutely trip up someone who speaks language while not tending to add that much, mm-hmm. I guess, for flavor. And then math and science will stop me in my tracks a lot. Yeah, That's I, that's that's one of the big ones, because sometimes you just, for whatever reason you need to look at equations. I use Wolfram Alpha a lot for that, just because it can do type conversions for you and generally will give you different units of measure, which is important to me for moving back and forth between units, which I occasionally have to do. But yeah, I, I, I use that a lot for looking up force to see how two physics objects would interact to make sure that that's not like totally off the mark as far as like mm-hmm. how much energy it takes to snap a rope, how hard someone can throw a baseball or something like that.
0: Yep. How far someone can realistically be expected to throw a pokeball.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's sort of unavoidable. And it, depending on the specifics, it can, it's sometimes something that you can just put in a placeholder and sometimes it's not cuz it's going to completely change the sort of flow of the action in a scene or it's going to change what people are talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that happens in combat is probably one of the things where the I feel like flow can be most valuable when you're just like able to play it out in your head and write it out as it comes. Yeah. And that tends to be the times when the spot research is sometimes most feels like it's needed the most. And that's the time when I'll, I'll most often, like, feel like I need to get this part right so I know what's going to happen next in the in the combat. Uh, which is an interesting thing because I doesn't, there's, there's a lot of, I don't, I don't remember if we've had an episode on combat yet, but we should at some point. But, like, I think we've done action, right? But, like, combat is this interesting thing where, like, if you think of something for a combat scene and for whatever reason, like, it just, like, it, like realistically wouldn't work out that way or, like, the thing that you imagined couldn't, wouldn't work that way or something. It shouldn't, it's like one of the, one of the, generally speaking, one of the easiest things, like unless the, the plot like pivots on, on a specific thing happening, it's one of the easiest things to just be like, okay, well that doesn't happen and something else happens instead. But for whatever reason, in my experience anyway, when I think of a way for combat to flow, I get very, like I want that to be, like I want that to happen. Almost like, like almost like the combat itself is like a miniature story. Uh, and so the research that happens for for combat tends to take up a lot of extra time for me. I don't know how much that applies to other other people, but like for an example, just like I, I've written um a, a couple novels in like a fantasy setting, and there was a thing about like knife fights and like what kind of like a uh, an arrow someone could like be expected to like survive getting shot by an arrow, like where and all this different stuff, and just like so much. There's, like, so much that could change if you just decide, yeah, okay, he just won't get shot by an arrow or something like that. Yeah. Where it's just, like, but no, like, he has to be shot by an arrow. Like, that's that's the only way to get him out of the fight and, like, make sure he can't be there when this happens. And then, like, he needs, like, this, like, recovery time after the fight is important for, like, the characterization between him and them. And, like, there's, like, so many, like, potential knock-on effects yeah. that I've I've had to spend a lot of time researching like, combat as, as combat comes up. And... I think that's it's part of what makes research mid writing like a integral part of writing itself. Yeah. Because your your story is in many ways dependent on how much you depending on how realistic you want your story to be. Your story is in many ways dependent on what realism would look like. And so like if you if you do care about realism, your story will be molded by realism in some respect, no matter how fantastic it is, no matter how science fiction based or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. There's a scene in Worth the Candle where they're firing a void arrow that multiplies and then explodes all at once. And I was trying to calculate the deleterious effect of that. And it's like a volumetric calculation. I just was, you, you have to do the calculations. Yeah. Um, but then it just sort of stops you in your tracks for way too long, I guess. <laughs> and i don't think there's any avoiding that if you want to get it right and not just make up whatever whatever sounds good mm-hmm. which i don't i don't tend to yeah okay well that's i think all mm-hmm. i have on research
0: yep um any resources oh. or uh uh-huh.
1: yeah resources uh okay so wolfram alpha mm-hmm. i tend to like there're a couple of different video series now where it's like doctor reacts to watching uh some medical drama or whatever mm-hmm. that and these this is like an, a format that's on youtube of professionals sort of breaking down what they see and what's wrong in movies and tv and i first find those fun and i second find them helpful mm-hmm. i will say for medieval stuff there there are a lot of medieval reenactors to look at um there is a, there's a channel called Townsend's. He does a lot of, it's like colonial America stuff, but it, it does a lot of cooking and a lot of history and things like that. As far as books go, that's, I don't know. I tend to go hyper, hyper specific on books, yeah. right? Like I want a book on just elevators <laughs> rather than like a broad overview of some particular subject. I, I like the deep dives a little better. I think that appeals to my more obsessive nature Mm -hmm. but that's that's sort of what i look at for research all
0: right i think that's it for the research thanks for listening uh we're gonna have a bunch of resources in the show notes so feel free to check it out if you want some ideas on stuff that we use and uh yeah tune in next time